Because we don't stop talking for two straight hours, this is MuggleCast episode 244 for November 20th, 2011. This week's episode of MuggleCast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast. Welcome to MuggleCast's big Deathly Hallows Part 2 DVD commentary. We've never done a uh, Harry Potter commentary before this, so this is exciting. Eric and Micah and I are here. And uh, what how this works is you get to watch the movie along with us. And to start out, we have to sync up the film so everybody is on is watching the same exact thing, the same exact frames. So the way we're going to do that is ask you guys listening at home, put in your DVD, and it has to be the DVD version, by the way. It can't be Blu-ray. And um, hit play to start the movie. And once you see the water, the very first frame, once you see the water, press pause. And then we'll tell you in a moment on three to press play. Okay? Before we start the commentary, we'd like to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of MuggleCast, Audible is offering a free audiobook so you can try out their amazing service. One audiobook to consider is A Game of Thrones, the first book in a Song of Ice and Fire series by author George R.R. R. Martin. In a land where summers can last decades and winters a lifetime, trouble is brewing. As the cold returns, sinister forces are massing beyond the protective wall. To the south, the king's powers are failing, with his most trusted advisor mysteriously dead and enemies emerging from the throne's shadow. In this land of extremes, plots and counterplots, soldiers and sorcerers, each side fights to win the deadliest of conflicts, the Game of Thrones. Recently adapted into a television series by HBO, immerse yourself into the world of Westeros before Season 2 hits screens this March. So why not get it for free and listen to it just like you do MuggleCast? To do so, or to grab any book of your choice, visit audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast. Again, that's audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast. We thank Audible for supporting the show. So, on three, we're, we're assuming now you have it paused to the very first second that you see the water. Paused to have it, yeah, very first second. Right. And then on three, in a moment, press play. So, one, two, three. Okay, everybody should be beginning now. Yes? Yes, very eerie uh, music. Yeah, I need to put my headphones in. I just realized I haven't done that. Oh, there's the um, Jenga puzzle. <laughs> and what we'll be doing this whole time is just talking about the movie while it's playing. Hopefully we have things to say about it, or else this is going to be a bunch yeah. of Yeah, you got to remember not to watch the movie and, and just watch the movie. Yeah. So everybody should be seeing the w- WB logo now, yes? Yes. Yes, so let's talk about this. This WB logo, kind of the unexpected character 
in all of these films. It always looks different, right? It grows with age. Yes. I think in uh, Half-Blood Prince it was rusty. What is it uh, this time? Well, it looks pretty put together, but it's definitely very dark. It's, you know, I remember the first film, I believe, was a bright, bright WB logo. Yeah. Um, I think the second film, it was up in the sky. I think that was when they really started playing with it. It was above Little Whinging. Mm-hmm. And this right music. Now, yeah, you're hearing uh, what David Yates spoke about in our interview. That woman that they flew in all the way from Japan. Yeah. Yeah. The, and the it's just beautiful. I love it so much. And that shot of Snape is so iconic. And didn't he say just the other day that they were thinking of getting rid? Uh, or in the original script, they just, they didn't have Snape, but then Yates insisted on it, I think. Yeah, because uh, he wanted to set Snape up as sort of one of the main characters of this this act. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is, if they didn't open at Hogwarts, <laughs> the, the, the good thing about them opening at Hogwarts is that Harry Potter Part 1, you know, Deathly Hallows Part 1, doesn't have any Hogwarts. So people have just gone, if they're doing a marathon, they've gone two and a half hours without Hogwarts. You know, it's so funny that they had to fit Hogwarts in the first few frames of the, fir- the second film, because it's just like, ah, oh, there it is. Yeah. You know, you just feel so like you're watching a, you know, a Potter film again. And so. it, it was very clear that now Snape, Snape is in charge. So that was a good reminder. So as now well. we're at uh, Shell Cottage. We just got a shot of Harry looking into the mirror, seeing Aberforth. Whenever I look back at this scene, whenever I watch this scene now, I think of all those paparazzi photos that came out of that when they were shooting this <laughs> exterior and Bellatrix was there and um, yeah. Griphook. Luna. I remember Ivana, I think at LeakyCon, she was like, I have the first line of the film. <laughs> <laughs> Which. It was funny. Yeah. Um, also, it's good to see uh, Bill and Fleur. I love how their house has no... Um, the, the, the the ceiling is clear. You can see right through it. It's just windows. There's no privacy? Yeah, at least, <laughs> yeah, at least that part of it. Harry's, Harry's not in a good mood. Griphook looks like he's meditating a little bit here. I think he is, right? I mean, what the hell else yeah. could he be doing? <laughs> Sleeping. Oh. Is that how they uh, sleep like that? Warwick Davis just passed out <laughs> mid-scene. Yeah. <laughs> they poked him under, you know, beneath the camera. And oh, no. What's my line away. again? Crap. It's, um, the interesting thing is that he's still got his wound from part one. It's just being consistent. Uh, you know, where Bellatrix slashed him with her dagger on his on his cheek. I like the fact that they kept this line in. You buried the elf because it it showed kind of Harry's personality, and they tried to make that apparent that the goblin in the books was very surprised by the fact that he showed that kind of treatment towards a creature. Yeah, yeah, because Griphook and Griphook's all about the uh, humans subjugating lower wizards, and by all all about, I mean all against. It's it's one of the reasons that it's, maybe it's the only reason that Griphook even helps Harry. Uh, which is which is very important. That line that they added, it's complicated. What do you think about that? It kind of, I like that it sums it, sums it up really, like gets the gets it accomplished. I gotta be honest, I f- I found this whole scene to feel very scripted. Like yeah. I don't know, just the 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 way the, the way they're trading off lines and this complicated thing. I know that usually got in a laugh with audiences. Um. I, I don't but, know. I wasn't too yeah, big I know a fan. What, 
I know what you mean. Because, I mean, isn't this a sequence that takes, like, weeks in the book? You know, Hallows and Horcruxes and Griphook and Ollivander and figuring this all out. But it's very clearly the beginning of a movie now. Because, like you said, things are very snappy. Mm-hmm. But definitely Warwick Davis, the makeup here, and there are a few special features not on the DVD, but that you can find about those, you know, prosthetics and stuff, and it's just amazing. He amazing loves process. talking about it. Yeah. Well, you sit under it for four hours, it's like <laughs> second skin. Yeah, I guess you may as well uh, make it worthwhile. Tries to tempt him with gold. Did Harry really think that was going to work? Was that in the book? Like, I'll give you money. <laughs> he works at a bank. He can get uh, gold whenever he wants. Right, right, yeah. Even if it's not his. I'll borrow from this vault today. Another vault the next. <laughs> I'll never know. Is that what you think they do? <laughs> well, they're not hurting for money, I don't think. No, that's true. This is a. Uh, this is a. Uh, this scene is purely for the audience to understand what's going on, where the three are sitting there in the stairwell to like some little exposition for the viewers. Yeah, and this is just interesting. It's like Floor is almost. Um, I don't know. I don't really get this. She's like she's like upset that they're being so pushy or something. She's just like he's weak. He's you an old man, though. You know. Yeah, he looks... Well, he... He is. Should they have, um... Let's talk about that. Should they have made him more sprightly? Like like he was in the first film? Or... Like, is it is he too old? Did they overdo it? No, because... For Ollivander? I think he, he's, he's stressed. He, you know, had to face Voldemort. Uh, I think he's just, you know... He's just we. It's kind of reflective of the film, you know how we were saying like the WB logo. It's like that where you know it, he's been through a lot in the past seven years. Yeah, that's true. It has been all seven years since we've seen him. Yeah, so. I mean, even the actor. I'm, I'm. Not, I, I assume he's still a healthy man, but that's what it brings into question, though. I'm like, just like, oh my god, poor Ollivander. But uh, but yet. Yeah, the other interesting thing here, and it's you know it's coming up when, when Harry says you're lying, you know, uh, about the Deathly Hallows. That's just that moment. <laughs> it's. Well, I thought this was a, a really crucial moment that people could miss if they weren't necessarily paying attention. Where they're talking about allegiance of Draco Malfoy's wand, and how it's sort of changed <laughs> over to Harry now. Here, I was not paying attention to that. <laughs> Yeah, um, it is important, and, well, I mean, it's important in the way that, honestly, you get the explanation at the end of the film, so it's not really that important, but it's important for them to have put this in because it just shows, again, that they're they're following the books. Those of us that have studied wand law. I was wondering, like, like with Griphook, I was wondering what... Ollivander was doing before Harry walked in because Ollivander was just chilling there in the chair. Like, was he like counting the the well, shells on his? Fleur was in the room too. I oh don't right. Know. Ooh. Yeah. Little TLC. <laughs> she, whoa. 
Whoa. He is the wand master. Playing with the Vila. Okay. All right, Micah. Yeah, all right, I'm done with the jokes for right now. <laughs> more later. Yeah, more later. More to come so, in the second hour. God, if we still did the caption contest, this would be a caption about the starfish on the left talking to the seashell. It'd be like, hey, I got to be in this scene. Yeah, my family's so proud of me. How about you, seashell? It'd be like, you may not know this, but I was actually at the hut on the rock in, in Sorcerer's Stone. So proud to be back. Yeah, but just Dan's acting, seeing how Dan's acting is approved, you know, he's accusatory, but he's also sympathetic at the same time, you know, towards towards Ollivander. And Ollivander just says flat out, you know, he tortured me. What are you going to, you know, what are you going to do? Um, But the inner, <laughs> the inner jerk <laughs> is about to come out when Harry leaves, obviously. But just right now, it's just so... So real. I was so glad that they got the Alamander back, you know, because I think David Yates talked about that at some point too, about not getting John Hurt back. You know, they said it, they really wanted to get the the first actor to show because it almost doesn't work otherwise, you know, because you can get an old man, you can get a haggard looking man, but unless it's the original guy who looked so different, mm-hmm. you can't. It's not gonna, you know, it can't resonate as well. Well, and it's also kind of like the the it. It, it's a testament to how epic these films are. And we've touched on it before, how they've really been able to keep every actor. They haven't had to replace anybody. Of course, Richard Harris, um, unfortunately, because of his death. And then, of course, um, Jamie Waylett, because of his drug problems. He played Crab. Uh, drug but and uh, bomb Other problems. than that, he uh, yeah. that nobody had to be replaced. Nobody pulled out of the film saying, you know, ah, I don't want to do this anymore. It just shows how much the actors and actresses truly cared about this series and wanted to see it through. Yeah. And this was actually yeah. what we're watching right now on the beach. There were there was a deleted scene or, or two that helped explain things a little bit more to the audience. And, and what did you guys think? Would they have made more sense being in here? Uh, what was the scene with the two-way mirror, I think? A little more... So, uh, yeah, first it was... Actually, there were th- yeah three mini-scenes because it was... Uh, Bill Weasley and Floor. Um, Floor gives Hermione the black clothing, just like a black robe or black underwear that she has um, hidden away. Gives it to Hermione to dress up as Bellatrix. Bill cautions Harry about doing a deal with a goblin. He says to Harry, you got to, you know, really be careful how you worded it. And then the next scene is Harry at Dobby's grave. He's looking into the mirror. Ron comes up, I think. Or, or no, first it's Luna. He just talks with Luna. Luna is kind of on her way back to school. Great line by Ivana Lynch. She says, um, or he says, you know, it won't be the same uh, that it was since you left. And uh, he's referring to Hogwarts, and she says, neither will I. I think it would have slowed it down a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you know, the pacing, the pacing. And that, that quick scene <laughs> well, yeah. we just saw right there, uh, Warwick Davis actually talked to you, Eric, about uh, being able to go under the invisibility cloak and how cool that was for him, you know, t- he he was happy because um, Griphook is a character finally that matters to the plot, uh, and and I think you know he's he said too he's he's enjoyed playing Professor Flitwick, he's enjoyed playing sort of other side 
you know, characters, the choir director in the third film, who was not Professor Flitwick at the time, they later molded the two characters, but characters who ultimately have no bearing on the, the you know, the main characters. Right. Uh, and sort of the, the plot, as it were. So I think it was rewarding for Warwick Davis, you know, he said, to to be in the kind of situation where you're affecting the plot, and also to ride under the invisibility cloak, as you said. Yeah. Because that's, <laughs> it's a status symbol of sorts. And this this whole scene right here, they basically reconstructed Gringotts uh, from the first film. And I think if you have a chance to watch the feature, The Goblins of Gringotts, it really explains a lot about how they went about casting for this particular scene and, and all the, the, the goblins uh, that you do see in, in this particular uh, shot. As well as, uh, when you spoke to David Yates, he also mentioned how much work went into uh, recreating the, the set. Yeah, it's one of the classic stories of how, you know, uh, so much work goes into about four seconds on film. Uh, you know, and I mean, this seems a little bit longer than that, but but just the, the idea, they, they actually had, I think it's uh, 45 sets of prosthetics, 60 actors total, uh, you know, in this sequence. But about this scene, you know, and how it relates to the book, this is obviously very, very different in the book. Uh, and in the book, doesn't she present her wand? Uh, because she has Bellatrix's wand on, on hand. Um, right, but uh, she remember. does now because the scene we just saw with Ollivander, he, he checks and he says that it's Bellatrix's wand. Yeah, but she doesn't present it here. And I think, isn't the reason that... Um, they know that Bellatrix, like the real Bellatrix, has said that my wand has been stolen. So if somebody does present the wand, then it then they'll know she's an imposter. Yeah, is that how that works? I'm pretty sure okay. you're right. Now this is yeah, just an awesome like that, but, scene, and it would make a, um, a really cool ride, Andrew. I know you're pushing hard this for this. This is the ride one. right here. No, seriously. I mean, this is really what it's going to be. Yeah. They would have to dig for it, though. It would just take. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're halfway there with that Poseidon's Journey ride. I mean, the, the, yeah, the, all practically yeah. needs is a new coat of paint. <laughs> um, I mean, just kidding. They would have to actually knock out the building and everything. But you're actually right, though. That they have that's like a cave, and, isn't it? Yeah, and imagine the ending of the ride where you're being traced, uh, chased by the by the dragon out of the out of the cave, out of the you know, out of Gringotts. It'd be so cool. I'm sold. I'm sold. <laughs> You go through the, the water. Uh, I mean, it would be a perfect interactive ride. You really <laughs> drop <laughs> right here. You <laughs> yeah, you fall. All your you enchantments your are washed away. Yeah, that is that should be how you get off the ride, though. They just the seats tilt forward. It'd be cool if you had clankers, like you you pick you pulled them out of some you know area of your seat, and you had to shake them at the dragon. And if to, if you didn't, like it would burst a uh, fake fire on you or something. <laughs> Oh no, you look like you again. Well, that was fun while it lasted. <laughs> Facial hair. I liked you better the other the way. Final Frontier. What are you lot doing down here? <laughs> it's funny because the thieves' um, downfall or whatever washes away enchantments, but you can just go and shoot another spell and start enchanting yourself again as soon as you land. Because mm-hmm. they obviously they imperial him right away again. Oh no. 
so were you guys really looking forward to seeing the the dragon in this film? Yeah, I mean, we weren't surprised by it because we saw it, you know, beforehand. But now, now this would be one on of the... the scenes, though, aside from the battle, that would probably be showcased in terms of special effects, right? For let's say the Oscars. Yeah, David Yates drew attention to that too. He 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 ranked it. Um, well, the Gringotts, the up and the upcoming scene inside the vault. Um, even on the DVD or the Blu-ray, I should say, in the documentary, they talk about how that was the most, or it's maximum movie mode, where they say that's the mo- that was the di- most difficult scene in the entire film to actually pull off. Uh, they had the most meetings about the vault scene. Um, but regarding the dragon, uh, David Yates had said too that there was a, you know, whole team devoted to it, and I think also a maximum movie mode. You see. Um, there's a particular moment where the dragon, when it finally escapes, has like this breath of fresh air and that realism, like the, the idea that they, that, it, oh, you know, it just really sold it for the audience. Um, yeah, we talked about that on 242 as well. I remember too, like the dragon just going back through MuggleCast, you know, history when we first saw it on the book cover. Yeah, the uh, deluxe edition, I think it was. The deluxe edition book cover and we knew, we didn't even know you know, that there would be a dragon in the book, right? That was the first kind of, yeah, oh, yeah. there's a dragon in this book. And, and then I remember somebody started looking it up. It may have been you, Eric. You may you may have been looking at dragons in the wizarding world. Yeah, we wanted to identify it um, because, and we, and I and I thought, I, I thought I settled on the Antipodean Opali. It's an Australian dragon with obviously like glazed, glazed over eyes. And we thought it was that because, I mean, it kind of matched the description in Fantastic Beasts. And we know that J.K. Rowling, you know, wrote Fantastic Beasts with the rest of the series in mind, that there are characters, creatures that we meet later that were written in that book before the books were written. But, however, what it ended up being, of course, was this Gringotts dragon, which has, you know, glazed over eyes, but only because he spent his whole life underground. Uh, so it's not an antipode in Opali. It's who knows what kind of dragon. Yeah, I think it, is. it was episode um, ninety-nine. We spent you, Lauren, and myself probably over an hour analyzing that whole deluxe cover edition. I think it was one of the better episodes. It might actually be on the Wall of Fame, uh, or if it wasn't ninety-nine, it was very close. Uh, I know ninety-nine is on the Wall of Fame. I, I think we should. Uh, I think we should also talk for a second here because this is uh <laughs> again a this book is change. scene that had this is well it's a book change they they don't remain trapped in the vault and i don't understand why grip hook betrays them here you know that that because that line is it's, changed a, it's too, a it's a little twist i think a typical filmmaking oh they trusted because remember harry said just a few minutes uh you know uh just get us into the uh get us into the vault we're trusting you well, that's where the key scene between Bill and, and Harry would have worked because the viewers would have been able to recognize, oh, Bill warned him about making sure you were very clear with the deal that you structured with Griphook in terms of, oh, I'll get you into the vault, but there's no guarantee I'm going to get you out. I also think, and it's unfortunate to be this goblin here um, for about five seconds, but then, uh, I, you know, I also think it's setting it up because later we have to see Griphook dead, uh, so maybe you know it just helps the audience not be very sympathetic about that. Because in the next scene, I mean, look at it. Look at how. Look at what you know. Being greedy, getting Godric Gryffindor's sword really did 
for you, Griphook, you know, Voldemort killed you all the same. Yeah, um, in this scene, I thought we got a couple of emails about how people were disappointed because it was actually Ron's plan to get on the dragon, and they right. made it Hermione's in the movie. So it kind was, of uh, making Ron it. appear not as intellectual, I guess, as he comes across eventually in the in the last book. Yeah, that's exactly what the, the email said, and I remember that night. I just laughed. And this I mean, is it's not that it's awesome from oh, the God. special effects standpoint, watching the dragon climb out here. Jurassic Park, here we come. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. You remember when the T-Rex shows up? And yeah. You get those and tremors. It's, it's kind of like that. It's exactly like that, yeah. It may yeah. almost kind of be a reference to that. I expected, like, a glass of water. But of yeah. course, uh, of course, the goblins don't. don't watching eat, don't this, drink. Um, watching this during the test screening was not fun because it was very much not complete. So like, it, it was just bad. <laughs> oh, I loved, I loved that though with the subtitles. Yeah, but you know? and here you go. Here's this breath of fresh air. Yeah, yeah. Where is it? Where is it? Uh, we're about to get it. Right there. Uh, hard day's work. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. It's, it's just a nice panting. break. I'm it's glad they like, did that. I made it, you know, See, made that, it halfway. You, you wouldn't have gotten that if they didn't split it into two films. That was a precious, oh, precious man. couple of seconds. Oh, all those people's houses. I know. I hope they have dragon <laughs> insurance. <laughs> no, <shot. laughs> no repercussions. It's sort of like when, uh, in Chamber of Secrets, when Ron and Harry are flying through the with the Fort Anglia and all the uh, muggles can see it. And, like, there's really no repercussions. Yeah. Unless did Snape say they had to wipe all the minds of those people, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. Well, speaking of dragon insurance, do you think they have to be notified that there's a dragon in captivity nearby? All those shops. I mean, it's Diagon Alley. I guess they probably figure, right? Dragon insurance. Gosh. <laughs> but dragons are actually banned from, you know, the major populace uh, in the Wizarding World, aren't they? I mean, they're kept... Charlie works with them. They're They're kind of sheltered our reservations for dragons but on on the whole for obvious reasons dragons are uh controlled the population is very controlled by wizards oh man this is this is this reminded me of um the locket strangling harry in the in in part one uh because again he's underwater and voldemort has some kind of epiphany well, i love this scene so much yeah the, the reals the, the way they did the uh horcrux um, Voldemort's like you know PO'd scenes with with Harry's connection. I just thought were so well done. Yeah, and it gives you deeper insight into the one that's at Hogwarts. But I like the change in the sense that Her- uh, Voldemort can feel when a Horcrux is being destroyed. I know that wasn't the case in the book, but I thought it worked really well for the movie. It does work well on the film, and and I think even Harry's little what homing sensation how he's be able you know he's able to find the horcrux essentially in the vault by hearing it you know listening for the little but at the same time then it also helps sell the fact that the part where we're eventually getting to where harry's a horcrux and you know it's one of those things that just it was a choice that really worked i think for the film it just really really worked because it helped them uh, it helped the audience to kind of understand without a whole lot of explanation that uh, Harry had a, an unusual connection with them. I, um, I wonder how but, angry they were that they had to probably jump in some cold water just for this scene. 
Actually, this is um, this scene they said in the uh, maximum movie mode. This was filmed on one of the coldest days, you know, in th- one of the coldest seasons in the back lot of the studio, and that they actually did narrowly escape hi- like real hypothermia from from filming this scene. And I think it was because of the way the camera is moving, like around and around and around. But yeah, this they they said that by far on the of the two last films, um, this was probably the hardest shot to to really do, just because it was um, so cold. And it, they're in England too. They're not filming in like Florida or you know Ecuador, South America, like Breaking Dawn. But it's just you can imagine it's so rough. They're so cold. Uh, Warwick <laughs> Warwick Davis told a funny story here of Voldemort walking on this this blood um watching the film i'm just like oh my god you know malfoy lucius malfoy is so uh proper look what look what voldemort's done to his house with all this blood everywhere but warwick davis told the story of how during filming because there's so much blood on the hardwood floor uh ray fines actually slipped once uh, (laughs) and just fell just completely fell over um while filming that scene but uh then David Yates has also said uh, that they actually had to mop up a lot of that blood because it was too much uh, for the rating that it's they were too going much. for. Yeah, too much blood. You can always. The thing is, though, you can always like mop up some blood, right? Just get it all out there and then take it away later instead of trying to digitally put blood in. That would you know work. they actually used the 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 noise from mandrakes for that alarm. Really, R- really? No, I just look made at that all these. Up. Oh, <laughs> oh, damn! Got excited. Really it sounded though? like it, though. Is it called, uh, what is that, the caterwauling charm? Or... No? That's the people? annoying <laughs> sound charm. <laughs> okay, I, not a big fan of this scene. I wasn't really in the book either, because they just suddenly trust Aberforth right here. I, I, I don't know. It seems very odd. There's a little hesitation, but they're still letting him the, the trio in. And it's like, I know they're in a desperate, desperate situation, but it just seemed like kind of a bad move. Yeah, I mean, I think the the the, the bad guys though they shoot first, ask questions later. So for anybody <laughs> to acknowledge them, you know, just be like, "Come here, Potter," I'd take that. But anyway. again, tying it back to the deleted scene uh, where Harry explains a little bit more to uh, Ron about what he's seeing in the mirror, saying he swears that he sees Dumbledore, would help with this scene, I think, a little bit. Yeah, because Hermione, when they get down the steps, Hermione says. Oh, you know, did you see him? He just looks just like, you know, yeah, in the back true. of Hermione's head. They actually managed to do a sequel for <laughs> Hermione's, the back of her head. Her hair was braided in the reflection. You bloody fools. He's lecturing them. He looks so much like Michael Gambon. I was really impressed by that. Um, That's the thing. Because the he real doesn't... life actor doesn't look like him yeah. at all. No, he doesn't. Um, and they talk about that. I think there's a feature released on Harry Potter: The Quest, where Kieran Hines talks about um, getting into that role and the amount of makeup and how he was really impressed by, you know, how well they did. So it's also yeah, it's also one of the focus points on the on the Blu-ray. Um, there's basically I think three prosthetics. He says it's the, it's the the forehead was the main thing, but also the eyelids. Um, because Gambon has the Michael Gambon has the the eyelids that are sort of heavy or very distinctive, hmm. very distinctive. Well, is Harry not hungry? 
Yeah, I don't. I don't he's understand just this. Angry. Harry's, Harry's a Horcrux. Even if he, he can't starve. He can't. He doesn't get hungry. I, like well, I think what it's saying is he's in the middle of a mission right now. He doesn't want to stop to take a break. I like the yeah, uh, maybe, the sarcasm but... here by uh, by Aberforth. Nice job. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. 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 I like that line. I like that line a lot. Now again, another deleted scene. Uh, I think it was the same. A dialogue, but they were actually all at the table as opposed to standing yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah, and there's one line about Ariana, I mm-hmm. think, that they added that it was, it's not in the final film, but it's like, again, pacing. Still, I, I, I think uh, most of the backstory does really, I feel like it comes through. I mean, the, it, you know, what's mm. important is that Aberforth has a beef with, you know, Albus. Yeah, and that's, know, that's definitely that's, there, but we v- know very little about Ariana. Yeah, but I mean, even the, even the books is vague about what exactly happened to Ariana. We just know that she was well. But we got that story. We got the story about you know the 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 horsing around that was going on. Yeah, and she was damaged. She was unable to control her power. Whenever I see, you can't see it right now, but whenever I see the butterbeer on the table there, you could see it at the beginning of the scene, I think, of uh, the Wizarding World Park. It's true. I feel like it's actually... a subtle reference to the Wizarding World because it looks exactly like it, except for the <laughs> bugs. Well, uh, what was it? I think, um, to be honest, I think they said that they had uh, used one of the, when we did the theme park preview before it opened, um, Stuart Craig and them uh, we we were told that they used the actual like the 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 theme park hogshead to design the hogshead in the film because they oh, obviously they designed the uh they did the, they designed the theme park before they had to shoot the last film so that that there probably are some really close comparisons you could draw um even though we had been in the hogshead a couple times before you uh, know in movie 5 i think you get good insight though into the relationship here when uh, Aberforth says that Dumbledore the other Dumbledore sacrificed many things on his quest for power yeah it's one of those lines that really really covers all the bases there Um, you know we just it's a movie we can't get the final story so I was happy with that line yeah Um, I think it just really summed it up for those people who are kind of looking for that backstory on Dumbledore to be in the movie I think that kind of made it very clear uh, what kind of a past he's had. You know, he's got such a big portrait and such a little mirror next to it. Do you think he should just, like, get a medium-sized portrait and have a little bit more space for a mirror? I mean, you got to groom yourself, after all. Never mind. What an analysis. Well, maybe he has a mirror somewhere else in the house. <laughs> yeah, maybe. This scene know. always got the biggest cheers, I thought. At least when we saw the movie in Orlando when Neville showed yeah. up. Yeah. In in the book, it's a cheer moment, though. I mean, it's it's the scene where you put down the book and start clapping, um, <laughs> because really Neville is just the, <laughs> this badass figure um, all of a sudden, and he's like, I think in the books there's more of that too, where Neville just in the movie he just talked about one of his cuts or something, you know. In the book, I think he goes quite quite on about that, where he's like, Oh yeah, I got this here for doing this uh, mis- misdeed and. Got this uh, over there, lasted for weeks, you know, but I got her good. You know, it's just kind of like really, really badass. Um, let's have a bit of fun, shall we? 
I've said before, I, I've never really been a fan of Neville. Um, and this film's no different. I don't know why. And I think it's almost the way that Joe wrote it. And I'm sorry, I know that upsets a lot of people, but it's just like, get out of the way. Like, who are you? <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's Matt Lewis. Something I just can't get over. It just. Now, one thing I can't get over is the, the use of the original music in this scene. I hate it. Absolutely hate it. Um, no, but it's like I, Harry's return to Hogwarts, just like his first time. It was just as exciting. I, I understand why they picked it, but the movie, to me, is completely different now. You know, everybody's grown up. There There should have been, I mean, if you're talking about Alessandra Displot and his score, which the filmmakers, uh, especially David Yates, have been completely all about, I really don't think there's a whole lot of score in this film, and... You know, because a lot of it is the action. A lot of it is the... I understand it's just like an editor's job. You know, if you can't see it, that means you've done a good job. But the fact that they've chosen that moment to do the original, you know, John Williams... Is this really kind of... For me, it just... It it was a chance for uh, this film to be different. And it was just... Instead, it was trying to be the same. Um, Mm. I mean, I was hoping, and I think we all were hoping to see some references to earlier films in this final film, the whole full circle thing. Nice little references to past films. I think that was. I'm cool with them playing the music, but it sounds like they were playing the exact same track. You know, like the difference, like if if he were to Mm re-record that, you know, and and do it with slightly different instruments, maybe, but also have it be the same theme, that'd be one thing. Instead, it really does just feel like it's a scene from the second film. But this was weird for me because Luna just all of a sudden is at Hogwarts when before is at Hogwarts. she was at Shell Cottage. And without that scene in there that that's part of the deleted uh, features, it's just, yeah. well, how did you get from Shell Cottage to <laughs> that's true. Hogwarts? Yeah, but I mean, I think the other thing that that confuses too is in a couple minutes when we see the rest of the orders also in the castle, it's like, where did they come from? You know, but... It's well, you have that through. moment just in, when we were watching that scene where they go on the radio and they say lightning is struck. That's the alert to the order to come to Hogwarts. Yeah. I think Which is, George, I'm glad they included that because we don't get any of that. Uh, the actor George too. Harris, who plays Kingsley Shacklebolt, mentioned one of the press conferences in Orlando that he really wanted to, um, or he thought it, he would have thought it would be cool to be on the, the Potter watch um, because Kingsley is, I think one of the head leaders of Potter Watch and, you know, when they're in the forest, isn't he? I forget what they call him. Not sure. Um, but, yeah, essentially, I think they were talking about some of the scenes that were really cool cool moments for their characters. Gosh, Alan Rickman. He's not centered. <laughs> <laughs> Under the, the, the green uh, hall glass. You gotta watch the full screen version if they... Uh, they still I, do the. the I just think box. about the poor first years who are here and have to go through this nonsense. Like they have no idea about Harry, really, or, or you know, they're too young for this super dark stuff. And Snape's yelling at these poor first years. Yeah, that's that's, interesting that's thing, not a film it? critique. It's just like a no, yeah, general mood critique as well. Because yeah. I mean, why would you send your kids to Hogwarts if it's the kind of situation where they're teaching? The, the unforgivable curses on the first years. Like, not that there are a whole lot of other options for schooling your children in Britain, you know, in wizard school. But I just think that this is this is very much a place you wouldn't want to send anybody to. Um, and, you know, we saw in previous films that, previous books, that people were 
parents were pulling their kids out of Hogwarts, but that was due to something little like not trusting Dumbledore's judgment. Here you've got full-blown Death Eaters running the, the school. What, what do you think would have been like, though, just talking about the cast, to, to actually be in this scene and seeing Alan Rickman doing what he's doing right now? You'd have to be pretty scared. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those kids probably weren't even acting. They were just legit scared. <laughs> um, in maximum movie mode of this film, David Yates just, it, it, they're focusing on this scene, and, and David Yates is just going on and on about how Alan Rickman's delivery is like really, 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 really cool. And, in, uh, in the test screening, that deleted scene where you see Harry join all the students before entering the Great Hall, that was in the test screening, and I liked it because you knew kind of what was coming, whereas in this final version, it was a shock, which on one hand is good for, for moviegoers, but I kind of liked to knowing that Harry was in that group prior to yeah. Snape's speech. Yeah, he has a costume change too where they you know they're in the room of requirement and he's wearing his regular clothes and now he has a robe over them. Yeah. I think during you know there was a scene on the staircase where they gave him somebody else's robes to wear. So, let's talk about this duel. JK Rowling said that in the script it was going to be Snape versus Harry and then she saw it and she was like, "Uh-uh, women power. We need to go with what's in the book here and that's Snape versus McGonagall." Even though Harry's kind of involved in the duel, like if McGonagall suddenly fell, Harry would have whipped out his wand and, you know, yeah. taken care of Snape, but um, I was glad well, she that it was, was. She McGonagall. said it was an early draft of the script, but and, yeah. And even in the the book, right? It's it's McGonagall, Slughorn, and uh, Flitwick. I think I could be wrong there with one of them, but it's the three of them who duel with Snape, and Snape bursts out one of the windows and flies away like a bat. Mm-hmm. If I recall, they're in a hallway though. Too. Yeah, it's they're not, not even, in the Great Hall. And not in the Great Hall. Far, far more condensed. Far, far more actors. You know, or sorry, professors going against Snape. But uh, same deal. This is now. Many people don't like this. How Voldemort is essentially, as a character, is introduced by the screaming of innocent young girls. It, it's so eerie. But I also thought that this was not really something that was ever addressed by anybody. You know, I've never asked Yates about this, or we never see them talk about how scary this is like why why do you think they they entered that do you guys like that or not where they have the children screaming well not necessarily the children screaming but i think you get that brief moment of triumph where snape is gone but then all of a sudden it turns back to dark right away yeah i i didn't the the screaming scares me every time uh because it's so sudden and high high pitched and not expected but i liked it I thought it was kind of unclear at first if it was just Harry who could hear it or everyone, but I guess the screams are supposed to indicate that everyone can sense it. Do you think they're screaming like is it a pain like a uh, like because yeah I'd like, say so because he's like in their head yeah or something maybe maybe like the two people out of a hundred can't handle telepathy <laughs> exactly no I th- I think that's right here's a bit of comic relief <laughs> stupid just a bed uh. David Bradley, I'll tell you, at the uh, Home Entertainment Celebration, he's just uh, such a, uh, a genuine guy, such a generous kind of kind. Um, he's pretty good at karaoke from what I heard, too. Yeah, yeah. I just, uh, <laughs> I'm so happy that he's a part of this. Uh, now, why does he call her mom? Is that a British thing? Yeah, I think that's a British. Like, yeah, it's a like British. ma'am. I think the... Um, also, isn't it one of the James Bond movies? They call M. Judy Dench mum, 
It's just it's a, it's uh it's respect. It's like uh it's like you it's know like it's ma'am. like saying mom. It's well, it's like saying mom too. I in, in a way I thought, um, but also like ma'am. So, I this may seem obscure, but I've always wondered. I want to know what went into designing Harry's battle wardrobe because he's wearing the same thing for like an hour. So I've always wondered like. Did they design it with flexibility in mind? With like, what what made them decide Harry needs to wear corduroy, a a uh, a like sport jacket, and then a t shirt underneath? Like, I I know that sounds weird, but like this That's is a lot the, of layers. This is the most iconic scene probably in the franchise. This entire hour, and you know, d- did heavy thinking go into designing his? battlements wardrobe you know i don't know like that's yeah. really interested to me for some reason like heavy heavy thinking when it, we even say harry potter film so heavy thinking went into everything but 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 i'm completely with you here i mean i never really thought about it but we're actually watching him wear three layers yeah for like an hour and a half and he has to obviously he had to shoot in that for months and months and months and months yeah who knows right i mean who's to say that i mean since when are stripes a symbol of you know leadership either you know i think matt lewis was talking about finally getting to wear stripes you know yeah and this is this is where neville's a bamf but so this scene with mcgonagall on the front steps i was there when they were filming it and i was so excited because it's just mcgonagall's moment and seeing the statues come to life in a moment here is just so epic i love the shot where the camera's on the ground and you see the statues just jump and land very firmly now, when you were watching them film it, could you hear what they were getting? Yeah, or? yeah, because it was McGonagall and uh, you know Julie, Julie Waters, uh, Julie Walters, and uh, Warwick Davis, and uh, yeah, you could hear what we were saying. They, they, th- that whole background behind them where the bridges that was all special effects later on, and obviously the statues were <laughs> were added later on, but um. That's a shame. It's another uh, one of those... thing that they could showcase for special effects. What the statues? Yeah. The, interestingly, the the giants again maximum movie mode. Um, what do you want? I watched it, but uh, they talk about the uh, the giants and and how they were going to do them completely digital and settled to actually do some live capture uh, for them. You know, the special effects team—they're just so competent, though. Yeah, and you know, even they, right here, I mean, you look at them shooting out these spells to protect the school. Uh, Very cool with visual. And all of this is digital, by the way. We're not just talking about the bubble, which is obviously digital. Hogwarts exteriors in this movie, all digital. Completely all digital. Again, something else that was annoying to look at during the test screening, because it wasn't done. (laughs) (laughs) We saw, like, wireframes and gray, right? Yeah, yeah, a bunch of nonsense. Um, Well, the captions helped. They really did, the subtitles. Yeah. Luna's about to lay the smack down here. This is probably my third favorite moment in the film. He's just brushing her off, brushing her off, brushing her off. Harry Potter, you listen to me right now. He's like, whoa. <laughs> I love the extras running around in the background. <laughs> we must act we urgent. <laughs> like, where... Uh, never mind. I mean, just... Yeah, yeah, no, I... It's You're such right. mayhem. I always wonder, like, where are they running? What are these people? Where are they going in such a rush? <laughs> I mean, obviously, they're battling, but... <laughs> uh, regarding that costume, Warwick Davis said the only thing that is actually his is his own chin. 
<laughs> the, inter- the the reason I don't think that that worked um, with you know there's not a person alive who's seen it uh, you know Cho was not giving a riddle when she said that so it's this big reveal oh yeah we got to talk to someone who's dead but you know I thought it was played off as though Cho were riddling somebody when she said that to begin with but no she wasn't you know yeah it's and- one of those things well, this also ties back to the the scene that they showed when they dropped into the water, and you got to look at the gray lady and the uh, Ravenclaw banner, and now you're finally yeah. coming face to face with her. Played by Kelly MacDonald. Where uh, else can I see her, Andrew? Boardwalk Empire. No kidding. And in Probably Disney Pixar's too. 2012 film Brave. Brave. She has well, the lead. I... She voices the lead girl. It's their first original say. film. It's going to be really good, I think. First original film in a few years. Um, but yeah, she was great in this scene. Um, the they really played the the you know the backstory of the Grey Lady really well. I thought um, there's still a bit more in the book than there is in the film. The interesting thing about this, okay, when she goes off and she's sort of floating in midair there, um, and she goes over there, th- somebody said something, and I don't remember where it was, but they said the reason they did that, where she goes off, she's not really, really, really levitating. The idea is that there once was a bridge there, at like at Hogwarts, that perhaps when she was alive, yeah, there would have been a, a bridge where she just went. So even though we see her going out you know, through the window over this this huge gap, which is like, why wouldn't she fall? The idea is that there's some kind of temporal displacement going on, where like she's kind of at Hogwarts in her time, and and it just furthers the the idea that these two separate planes of existence, the, the, the separate realities, are um, coming together. So I thought that was awesome when I heard that. I was like, oh my god, you know. And this is never- really now the first look we get at Voldemort outside of the, the cut scenes that we saw in the water and then obviously the film opening with him in Dumbledore's tomb. Mm-hmm. Nick, Nick Moran, who plays Scabier, said that there were actually something like 3,500 actors. Uh, Seriously? For, for one of these sequences where they're running down the it's hill. the 4th of July. <laughs> <laughs> Cook some hot dogs. I, they, I wonder they, how they got so many like how many how Voldemort rounded up so many people well that well, that was really yeah. the thing reading the books because in the books it's a big deal that Voldemort's taking over because presumably his reign of terror is not restricted to England but the tough thing is is that these are books that are set in England you almost can't comprehend Voldemort taking over the whole world right because again he's just one person and you think of the world being so amazingly big so in the film when you're seeing these 3500 people it kind of I think helps sell it a little bit more because these people all turned out on one hillside to fight behind him Yeah, the grey lady this scene is just so intense like I felt really unsure that the great lady was going to give Harry the information, yeah. or at least give when a she, hint. You can when tell. she screams at him, yeah. I, I Google imaged Kelly McDonald, by the way. I just saw a completely different side of the great lady. <laughs> oh, oh no! Oh yeah! I'm... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come on, I'm trying to add some humor in here, but 
Um, but I also they left out the whole backstory really uh, with the with the Bloody Baron and how that ties yeah. into all this. Well, the inter- I mean, the thing about the Bloody Baron, uh, you know, the, he had that sweeping uh, in the Harry Potter page to screen the book there there are shots that they did of the actors in costume for what would later be green screened in harry potter and the sorcerer's stone the film bloody baron is seen for about five seconds you know sweeping so it wouldn't because he hasn't been in any of the subsequent films they they didn't and also the pending battle because right now students are getting ready to die um i can see why it was omitted kingsley kingsley these these random like attic like walking ways <laughs> walkways <laughs> through through Every the castle. castle should have one right <laughs> I mean there there've got to be areas like this in every castle don't there you know, yeah I guess so and... I like this line here by Lupin yeah the quality of one's convictions that determines the success in battle who said that me oh Fred and George. Last time you'll see Fred alive. Is this foreshadowing? Like, are you okay, Freddy? And like, well, he's not actually yeah. okay in like a half hour. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, it is. They didn't really uh, shoot a death scene for Fred, did they? Or they just never included it uh, in the final cut? It's unclear, and I'll explain that in a minute. I do want to say that this is. Uh, I said Luna telling Harry off was my third favorite scene. This is the second favorite scene is the opening of the Chamber of Secrets, just because. I was so happy. Remember, in the book, it's off scene. It does off screen. You don't read about them. You, they show up to Harry, and they're like, "Oh, by the way, we went down to the Chamber of Secrets." Actually, getting to see it on film is amazing. I like this scene right here, watching the Quidditch pitch Burning. fall. Why did they burn the Quidditch thing down, man? You just—it's a riot. Some it's, men just—it's <laughs> war. Some men just want to watch it the is, world burn. It is war, and it's—it's it's another ending. I mean, we—we we saw the Quidditch pitch in so many of the films. In the beginning of the series, very bright and happy. Now at the end, kind of now, blah. Another deleted scene that isn't in the films is when they're setting up all the explosives. Which I liked, because it's a good reminder of why this bridge collapsed so easily after Neville just spent, sent one spell. <laughs> I, li- I like how well, yeah. Scabier knew to stop, but allowed everybody else to run forward. Yeah, that I don't... Yeah. IRL, yeah. I don't think that would have actually he's a, happened. I think he's a diva. He wants uh, he wants more spotlight. The less people who are next to him, the better he looks. Well, I think the thing is too. Again, with special effects, sometimes they go by so quickly. When Neville, you know, upcoming when the bridge does explode, you can see that Neville's spell actually hits a fuse, which actually is wired to something. But it happens in like two seconds, here you know, two split seconds. So you don't see it. I like how nobody cleaned up the basilisk skeleton. They just left it there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, if For Slughorn knew use, about you know. this... Well, if Slughorn knew about this chamber, he would have pawned off all those fangs. Well, know, why so not leave of, it there? I mean, it's kind of... And we didn't, we didn't touch on it earlier, but the, the scene on the staircase where uh, Hermione mentions that Ron had come up with the idea to use the basilisk fang on the cup. Hmm, I missed that. Uh, yeah, Hermione was um, smitten with Ron coming up with the idea. It's Hurricane Voldemort. <laughs> Which I remember or there was, typhoon I think... Voldemort. Yeah, I remember when there was, like, a rumor or something, like, oh my gosh, there's going to be a typhoon Voldemort everywhere. I was like, oh my god, what are they doing in the We spell? saw it in the trailer, yeah, but... It doesn't it turned... really look like him. No. But it's, uh... 
I, it's just this the the idea that Horcruxes are such power ukis are such this, powerful uh you know pieces of magic that when one dies you get this after after glow or this after uh you know just like in the in the forest scene where there's that huge monster and it fades away or they do it again in the uh, room of requirement with the fire how there's uh-oh. still some kind of residual Voldemort man he's pissed yeah he's not too happy See, that's why I thought the whole destruction of the Horcrux and him feeling it worked well in the films, because you see his immediate reaction. Again, another deleted scene here where Tonks shows up, they cut that out. Yeah. The other thing about Voldemort, too, and making what you were just talking about, Micah, is is that you can see him almost... uh, You know, in the book it said, you know, when there's another Horcrux is destroyed, he's less and less human each time. You know, you, you can see him react to one of his, you know, part of his soul dying and his, how his next movement is that much more maniacal, uh, that much more fierce and angry because he's less and less, you know, alive, but also less and less human. Right. It's more, it makes him more dangerous. I want, uh, I want them to sell little pieces of like shield that you can like throw through the air. Like film cells, how they sell film cells. Yeah. And and just the whole, you know, Neville, we see Neville, he's so strong and he's he's such a fighter. And then all of a sudden, you know, the barricade's gone and he just runs for his life. Well, if you had that and, many people running after you, would you yeah. run away? Well, no, I know this, but you should have isn't thought a, about that when there's 3,500 people there. You shouldn't there have been, limit? like, getting close and being like, ha, huh, what yeah. you going to do now? Okay, so it's slightly more drawn out, but yeah, that's the fuse. And here goes the bridge and... Classic there, moment coming up when you, oh did he fall did he fall to his death and you see his hand and his wand and oh, no, nobody's even trying totally. to help him by the way they're all just standing know, there watching standing. him <laughs> yeah, yeah they're funny. not like here come on they're not sending spells we might hit him but and they should have been like Akio Neville <laughs> a summoning spell for yeah would have worked too I know you're not about this moment Andrew but I loved it. Because I thought I, I think what sold it is how quickly he disappeared from the from the shot when when the bridge collapsed and he just fell. It just it wasn't. It's almost like one you know one sec he's gone. I just thought if you can stage a falling, you can stage a recovery. It helps. Now there are the giants you were talking about who are actually played by actors. Yeah, I thought they were all CGI. Well, in uh, they talk about in one of the documentaries of this that are in this home video release, they talk about how Grop was all CGI or motion capture um, in Order of the Phoenix. Or, is it, no, sorry, Half-Blood Prince. Um, no, it's Order of the Phoenix. And so I think it was the special effects team, they propositioned, or they basically went to, I think it was David Yates, and said, look, okay, for the Giants, we know we could do it all digital, but it will it will look more real uh if if we actually do film some actors and they did some tests and they showed yeah, kingsley. I, I love this uh kingsley arthur weasley you know battling here amazing but and they, the giants they, sh- they are swinging quidditch hoops by the way oh no way yeah that, and we were are? debating that in the trailer and i mean if you watch it in the movie or the blu-ray or even the dvd i think it's very clear and they're half broken but that's what they are that's crazy. I thought and they were like... here comes a uh, part that a lot of people had issue with, too. Finding What's Luna. the issue here? Finding who? Oh, Luna. Oh, right. And well, that... Which was described later as a summer fling. 
Yeah, that's that's upsetting, but many people don't catch it because it's British too. He says, again, "I'm mad for her." I yeah, have to find. I know. I keep pointing out deleted scenes, but there was another one that uh, would have been in here with uh, Slytherins breaking out of the dungeon after Filch puts them there. Yeah. Yeah. The interesting thing is that where Malvoy operates is actually from that deleted scene. Right. Where Malvoy operates grabs crit. So you think they're just in a random part of the castle, but they're actually normally they would be in the dungeons if they had kept that scene. Here comes another yeah. Ron intellectual moment. And Hermione's yeah. like, ha ah, You're so amazing. She, maybe she transferred some of the uh, intelligence <laughs> to him, him when down she in the chamber. Via saliva. Yeah, David Eats is like, okay, from this moment forward, we can, uh, Ron can make intelligent decisions. No, they're just one person now. <laughs> Ron Miney. Come on. In the, um, I asked Arthur Parsons to give me a demo of the, uh, the room of requirement here. He said, uh, Earlier in the game, when they first arrive at Hogwarts, one of the side tasks is that you have to wake up sleeping students, because they have the hammocks. <laughs> and uh, now in this one, it's just, you know, again, documentaries, all the props that they got. I mean, they, they unloaded, I think it's something to like 72 crates of props from all the previous films to construct this scene. And they went to auction houses, and they went to, you know, places and, and just got all this furniture that they have stacked here. That's amazing. It's just amazing. Yeah, I think when you just look around, there's the uh, the statue, uh, the Hogwarts statue that you see in the uh, on the ride, the Forbidden Journey ride, as you're walking through the queue. Yeah, you just saw some pixies. I love the the Cornish pixies. pixies, and you see the uh, the boar. I think. Yeah. At some point, I don't the know winged. if we missed it, but yeah. Also, some chess pieces I think are in here. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I thought it was a cool tribute. I think I said it on a previous show to all the other movies that they have yeah this stuff in here. I agree. Trying to trying to look out and find that one thing that I haven't seen before and I'm sure there's like hundreds of thousands but it's just this Harry can hear the horcrux. He can feel the horcrux. Yeah, I like that too in in this movie cuz it kind of gave away for people to realize in the end that Harry was a Horcrux as well. I think you mentioned yeah. that earlier, Eric. Yeah, it helps helps sell it. Um, but this prop, this diadem, and I gotta admit, reading the book, what what the heck's a diadem, right? I mean, that's why there's that line in this movie. It's like a tiara. But it what if you don't know what so... a tiara is? Then you're well, really in trouble. <laughs> then you... I like that line. It's perverse, right? It's just like that. It doesn't quite understand me. You know what I mean? It's kind of like he's got this. Draco's Draco's misunderstood. Yeah. Come on, Draco, don't be a brat. Go well. Is that the mirror of Erised behind them? Yeah, it it looks like it. The frame of the mirror of Erised? I think I I I saw the mirror. Now, what did you think of this? Ron running off, that's my girlfriend. (laughs) You know, that was okay, but the way he, like, was thrusting his wand forward. (laughs) Ah, whatever, he's in love. Give him a break. Yeah. 
people there's make a couch decisions. too somebody's on the couch you might as well jump on it oh love that the doxy i mean no the pixies we're nesting in there it's just it's the element of realism where you believe that this could actually be a real world there you go andrew there's the boar yes yeah now again this and, is uh, another scene that can be used showcasing special effects yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, they were good. I feel like they put, again, that's another, like, Wizarding World reference to me. Because, like, people will see it in the movie and then go to the theater, or go to the Wizarding World and be like, oh my gosh, I've seen that in the movie. Like, it's just yeah. exciting for the people. You're talking about the boar? Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think so, too, and I think uh, it- it's good that now, the... Is that Umbridge's uh, the- stuff that was on the table there? I don't um, know. Probably. Yeah, it looks... No, uh, Trelawney's, because you see all the teacups. Oh, yeah, it could be. And, um, like, the butterbeer, too. You see the butterbeer in the film, and then you see it in the park. It's like, oh, wow. Yeah, it's good that they completed the theme park before they completed the film, so that they could have those kinds of things. Yeah. You know, in, in the actual this major motion cool. pictures. Oh, That God. dog or whatever it is. Yeah. Kind of a movieism where the fiend fire takes the form of different animals. Um, but just the idea that it is a crazy wall of fire. My favorite special effects shot is where Goyle is oh, um, trying to put out, you know, he's like throwing his wand and uh, the fire just keeps coming from it. It shows a, a real lack of control, lack of ability now, to control the forces. Was it Goyle who actually gets killed in the book or was it Crab? I can't remember. Hmm. It's a good question. I knew the answer once, of course. Um, I Should feel Google like I'll, I'll, uh, I'll Google. Yes, it's Crab who dies. It's Crab who dies? So yep. that's why they changed it. Changed? Oh, yeah. Because Crab no longer exists. <laughs> hmm. He became reckless and neglected the potency of his dark arts, releasing cursed flames to incinerate his opponents that he couldn't control, which led to his demise. That's from the Harry Potter wiki. <laughs> I like how he uh, punks Ron gives it that die yeah, the, the <laughs> And then Voldemort the Voldemort heads. Voldemort, uh, heads. <laughs> the, uh, the cool thing, again, behind the scenes, um, they, they, it was one of the physical stunts uh, that they had to do was chuck uh, Harry and Ron out of the room of requirement because they're they're on their brooms at the time, and they had to like throw them with the they basically launched them off of a platform, uh, the doubles to <laughs> to the uh, into the hallway when the doors closed behind it. There's been a rumor lately that Nagini is the snake that Harry released in Sorcerer's Stone. Do you guys think that's true? That was discredited. Okay, um, what yeah. is that? Poor Pius just got. Killed. He's angry. Voldemort just he lost another to, Horcrux. He needs to try. I felt bad for Pius too, Micah. Don't worry. We'll we'll have T-shirts and like a blood drive or something. But you know, <laughs> the, Voldemort is feeling so vulnerable. In fact, I remember people laughing at that sound he makes when he's like, huh, where he's just kind of like shocked, and it's that intake of breath. And I thought that that was was tremendous acting from Ray Fiennes because. You know, he needs to prove that he can still, that he still has power, that he's still capable of being evil. And that's why the first thing he does is, is kill somebody. 
again because he needs to prove to you know to himself more than anybody else, but also to everybody else. Yeah, he's just angry. He's he just letting out some anger. Yeah, why, to... why wasn't Nagini kept in the orb in the, this film? Oh, like the protective orb? Yep. I mean, I feel like uh, it she's already weird. She she's already such a special effect. It doesn't. And and she has to she has to crawl along the ground. It would have been weird if she was just floating the whole time. I think it's still really relieving when Nagini leaves his side because you do see her in all these scenes right next to Voldemort. So they they, they still sold the idea, the concept that she was very well protected. Now, what's with the lifting of the sleeve here? Is that to kind of show that he's decaying or what? I thought he was about to, because most, all the Death Eaters have the dark mark there. Right. But obviously Voldemort doesn't. So maybe it's about, you know, him feeling his own mortality. And he slaps that, Lucius. Yeah. That line, man. How can you live with yourself, Lucius? And he just says, I don't know. He, I think even part of Voldemort is disgusted with Lucius. Well, that's the thing. It's true. It's it's exactly what you said. Um, he is disgusted with Lucius. He. It, it's It's almost like he blames Lucius for letting him I don't know, he's just, Lucius never stands up for himself, you know, this whole time he's being bullied by Voldemort, and I don't think, there's no respect, there's just no respect from Voldemort to right Lucius. Here. and Quidditch yeah. pitch, sorry Quidditch hoop, but unbelievable. The, the, the Quidditch hoop, yeah. I always took it to be like a native object, like a native weapon <laughs> that maybe the the giants would have constructed in giant land, mm-hmm. you know? Turns out, no, it's just, uh, you destroyed this, it's, <laughs> it's just totally a Quidditch hoop. This, I'm surprised Harry, Ron, and Hermione get through this, um... So, you know how we were talking about Ron dying? This should have been where Ron died. Yeah, smush. Just kind of... They run oops. through this battle, throwing spells around. I don't know how they can possibly be sure who's on whose side. And I wonder, uh, I wonder if they had trolls in this final battle, how they would have made them look different than giants. Because the giants kind of look like... Well, they wouldn't be as big, yeah, I but I guess say. it would just be confusing. Oop. Lavender brown. You know, many- Twilight reference. Well, actually, Lavender dies in the uh, in the book. Many no, I know. Don't... It just it just made me think of Twilight because like sucking the blood. Oh yeah. This scene very cool. Aberforth has his moment. Well, I remember in the, the trailer Dementors. they cut it so it looked like Voldemort hit Fenrir Greyback in that. Yeah. Scene. We were like, "What? Friendly fire! Friendly fire!" Yeah, you couldn't tell in the trailer. Kingsley's at all. lost his hat. I just realized that Kingsley's hat is gone. Now we're going to go check out the uh, home of this Hogwarts uh, rowing team. <laughs> What's there? They need a Latin like uh, slogan. You could have come up with it. Welcome to the boathouse. We haven't shown it to you before, but well, we think been... it's good place for Snape to die. It you know, they were talking the video this games, up actually. When they were talking this up, they were saying, you know, you get to see Hogwarts burning in the background as Snape dies. And I was like, oh, cool. But you really don't see Hogwarts burning in the background <laughs> as Snape dies. And that was a disappointment because I was kind of looking forward to that. I, I had this visual in my head that I thought would be quite beautiful. It is in the games, which is interesting. Even as far back as Chamber of Secrets, the game. And we're talking about when there was only one type of game for each movie release, not 15, but... Um, you go down to the boathouse and it looks just, I mean, you're not, you don't go inside it, but it's exactly in the same place. And I feel like even in the posters, there was a, a boathouse, right? I mean, early on, it's you know that, that it's going to, 
that moment right there when he says, my lord, you can tell that he knows that he's about to get it. To, to get it. Yeah, <laughs> this is a turn. Get it. But the other thing about having Snape's death be in this boathouse is that water symbolizes life in a lot of ways. So this uh, this raising and lowering of the tide, this water lapping sound in the background just kind of... It is a place for life and death to be decided. Hmm. Interesting point. Snape's hair is like long and a mess. Snape's hair, for the first time, it looks right to me. Is that wrong? Is that wrong? I agree. I didn't get this line right here, only I can live forever. Snape didn't have any intention of trying to live forever. Well, and there he he goes. He did, though. Quick slit of the throat. How could he not even defend himself, though? Well, because he knew... He has to know about the Horcruxes. He has to know he has no shot. Yeah. I mean, oh, the other thing doesn't it sell? Um, it's it it helps sell. The, it actually helps Harry because it helps sell the notion that Voldemort wins. And when Voldemort gets proud, he makes mistakes. Hmm. Um. But there's definitely no way for Snape to know that Harry is watching. I don't know if there is in the book, but it's very lucky that. You know, Snape waited this 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 long. Yeah, that's to, true. To show him the memory, but there's no reason for Harry to ever show up, you know, and sort of cradle him and get but these. But you almost off. wonder what the alternate plan was to show Harry the truth. But um, yeah, just they find this got shot Snape's when Harry. Harry and Snape are looking at each other. You don't see the actual shot that they used, but on billboards and in that Oscar booklet, they use that. I think it's one of the better shots of Harry looking into Snape Snape's eyes as he's dying. Do you have a scan of that? Yeah. Um, okay, I'll, I'll look that up. Um, Hermione, the come tear. On. Get the vial. But the tear just talking. You just happen to have one in your pocket. And don't get the blood, for God's sake. Yeah. We've said though that remember this, Andrew. The tear is digital, so there yeah. was no crying in this Snape's death. <laughs> yeah, scene. you know, <laughs> Stuart Craig was like, "I cried when I watched when I watched them film this scene," and it's like, "Wait, you're crying?" And not even Alan Rickman was crying. Was crying. Like, <laughs> come on, that's that's the real thing is when you take into account what everybody else said about this scene and to think that you know not even Alan Rickman could you know was supposed to cry because the tears are supposed to be these memory tears of digital proportions I don't know, and, just... it, and here we go you know with lily's eyes you know you have your mother's yeah. eyes and this was something else that we learned recently jk rowling said you know harry's eyes color harry's eye color is not that important but his mom's eyes needs to look similar to his there's and a they significance didn't even do there it. has to be a significance there well i agreed with you when you said that but geraldine somerville like We've only seen maybe five minutes total of her in the entire films. Like, maybe yeah, but there's, there's a side by side, and 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 Lily's eyes are brown. I think oh. the actress's eyes are, are brown. They? Yeah. Well, I think too. Maybe it's that thing where if you had known Lily, you know, you would have uh, you would is have that, seen the resemblance. Is that was that Fred's death scene? Was he dying right there, or was no, it just I think that was actually over? George? He oh, was, okay. I think it's Fred. 
And the reason, but but he's just been disarmed. He's not dying. And the reason that that is powerful, uh, I think, the reason that it's supposed to be powerful is because Voldemort is disarming his forces. He's saying, okay, now there's time to go pick up your dead and stuff. But Fred has just been disarmed. He's lost his wand. And he's ordering his Death Eaters to retreat to the forest. But I think uh, Electo Caro, is it? Not Ami, because Electo is the female. Um, seeing a disarmed Fred there, you know, they're, they're, they're obviously, they've just been dueling. And I don't think, I think it was her evilness that, that she just kept going and actually killed him. Because he doesn't have, you see him lose his wand, and in the next, in the next scene he's dead. I just think that that, to me, that that makes a lot of sense, is that she would have just gone on and, and killed him and then left. Mm-hmm. It's so isolated, the boathouse, oh my god. Now there's nobody around. It's all quiet. Cleaning bill. 1-800-GOT-JUNK. <laughs> Get a few U-Hauls in here. Clear that shit out. Start of term next year. I like this scene because you see quite a few of the teachers. Yeah, how about that? See Trelawney, I remember. We're not seeing it yet, but... Yeah, even Filch got in on the There's Filch, yeah. Mm, nasty gash. We're gonna see Sprout in a second. Yeah, there's Sprout. Then uh, Trelawney. Thanks for coming back. What's her name? Emma Roberts? Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson. Yeah. Wasn't she one of the two, like, her and uh, Rita Skeeter, they didn't really care yeah, much Yeah, they about. were both, like, hinting Whatever. that they weren't gonna come back. Did Rupert do a good job of crying here? I think so. Yeah. David Yates talks about that, too, how even though Fred didn't get a death scene, it's really part of the, the reaction. That Ron's reaction is is what you're going to use as your, you know, springboard for your emotion. That seeing his reaction is in ways more powerful than... Toxic, really creepy right about... Creepy? Now. Yeah, I mean, just... That was their death scene. <laughs> in yeah. fairness, they didn't get in the book either, so... Oh, to answer, yeah, to answer the, the question before, I think I recall, um, I recall hearing that Chris Rankin was surprised that he did not appear in the final battle uh, at all, which leaves me to believe that there was originally some kind of scene shot or planned um, during during the battle for Fred and George to die, but who knows, right? Yeah, um, it, it, but it, I, I, I think it I think it involved the whole Weasley family or at least Percy's uh, what's the word redemption. I mean, it uh, may have been shot. Chris did he, Chris say he definitely didn't film one at all because you know how like. Uh, Stanislav, who plays Crumb, he shot it, but it didn't appear. He shot, not the battle, but, um, yeah, in the, the wedding. wedding, he was supposed yeah. to appear. Yeah. Which we saw, now, but, yeah. This, um. Pensive? This Pensive, yeah, it's different from Half-Blood Prince. You know, it was like the standing thing, but now this one's like a floating, it's well, like a flying saucer. Interestingly, it is and it isn't different. And this is one of those things where this is the first time in the films they draw attention to it. But during Half-Blood Prince, there's one scene where it's just the shot opens on Harry and Dumbledore and the Pensive. But if you look closely, the Pensive is just this floating disc. And it's such a weird choice for them to make. Like, yeah. You know, to turn it into this. See, Lily's eyes brown. 
<laughs> Petunia was even a bitch back then. Wow. And Snape lived in a tree. Not a pineapple under a tree. Just a tree. Helicopters. That's advanced magic there, turning, making something alive. Oh, young love. <laughs> Let's get together and feel alright. This scene, I mean, I think this was really well shot. I'm glad that it was done in full color, you know, not like what Snape's worst memory is, kind of like this storybook of, not to mention it's like five seconds long, in Order of the Phoenix. But, um, this is all really kind of, this sells Snape's childhood. And and I think it's probably one of the best, it's probably the best sequence in the whole film, wouldn't you say? Is Yeah, you, I, I loved all these historical scenes, so to speak, especially the stuff that happened in Hogwarts, like Lily and James meeting. Getting sorted? You have to Snape. think, like, they filmed Getting Sorted during the... All over the, again, yeah. It's yeah, really la- cool. The last movie. Sirius and James. James. That's I've always shot, like, Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah. I've always Chamber wanted Singer. to see them dancing. Like the shot, like a uh, behind the scenes of them dancing. Because <laughs> it's just they did it for the first film, you know, and it's in the book at the end of the first film, but you never see it. Uh, Ellen These Rickman Snape had. Dumbledore scenes are great. Yeah. He looks a lot younger there, too. Yeah, it's the hair shorter. I think they may have put a little extra makeup on him, maybe. He does look younger. I'm gl- glad they were able to pull that off, and I was worried that they wouldn't. Maybe that's really. why they made his hair longer in part two, so they could differentiate between this this old older Snape, present day Snape, and then the young adult Snape. Mama loves you. Dad, I loves you. She has blue eyes, or her eyes look light. There. Hmm. It's true. It's a side shot, though. Can't can't say can't, for sure. Can't be sure. Can't be sure. Oh boy. There's an astronomy big globe. He looks so young here. I wonder if he was actually crying in this scene. <laughs> I'm sure he was. He's a competent actor. Now, they said they actually shot these during Half-Blood Prince. Is that true? Really? I wonder. I, 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 can't, I can't believe Who that was it was they? scripted. Who was they? If Yates said it, then it must be true, but... Uh, I don't yeah. see what the advantage would be. I mean, actually, I don't know well, if that makes sense. because most of Hogwarts is getting destroyed, isn't it? But would a script be written? Like, Yeah, it doesn't make sense that they would script it so early. Yeah. Because they don't... Who knows what the... You know, David Yates didn't even know he would direct the final film. Why would you have that extra work done? I love how he just passes over James's dead body like it's half a... He's like, coming up the stairs, oh yeah, there's James. Okay, but I'm heading to go find Lily now. Yeah, but why would they redo all of this stuff? Why wouldn't they? They have the, the full support of the budget of the... Yeah, I mean, like, the Dumbledore's office set, that's always been there. They, they've, they've deconstructed the ministry scene and set and put it back together, like... You know, they they uh, no expenses spared. 
Just because they don't have the room to keep all these sets. You must be. And plus, Michael Gambit wanted to come back to film some stuff for part two. Well, that that was the thing that different, you know, not necessarily differentiates the books and the movies, but we all knew that Michael Gambon would have to be a big part of the seventh book because of all the Dumbledore backstory at the very least, mm-hmm. if not King's Cross. And you know, turns out the backstory wasn't in, but King's Cross and and these flashbacks were. Well, if anybody is. Uh that's listening wants to uh, check in on that and see if that's true, that some of these scenes were shot during Half-Blood Prince. Well, where did you hear it? I just remember hearing it somewhere. I, I recall hearing that too, but I, I don't, you know, think yeah, about Yeah, I'm going to say no, because who knows if David Yates was signed on as a director at that point. And yeah. I mean, I that just seems... It's just that these uh, scenes fit this film and this sequence so well that it, it's that's a so scary stuff down that that's yeah. A lot of things children have, like clowns and things, I are hate scary. Clowns. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, you just had to have that outburst there. It's from movie four. This is a, this is like a, a chills sort of moment when Troll. Dumbledore broke the news. When the time comes, the boy must die. Yes. Yes. There's like a fun house. It's all crooked here. It's weird. It's yeah, just it it's like a completely it. different Snape. Yeah. What do you mean? No, I, I, he, he's, he's always had a wig, so it's no, a different no, no. wig. No, I mean just from a, from a character standpoint, from what you're used to oh, seeing yeah. throughout the other seven films. Which Seriously, added ba- to the baby epicness. Harry. Baby Harry right there is like, who's this man cradling my mommy? Yeah. I don't understand. Is that my dada? <laughs> Look, there's the line, pig for slaughter. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I say that that is a MuggleCast reference right there. The dough. There's st- they, they didn't really sell the dough, I don't think. Why does Snape send the dough? Well, he sends the dough to show uh, Dumbledore that he's genuine. That he's genuine in love. Look, Baby Harry still oh. doesn't know. Baby Harry still doesn't know who this man is. Um, but at the same time, is there another relation other that I'm missing other than the fact that James Potter had a stag Patronus so that Lily represents the doe because she's the partner of the stag and that Snape has this, the, the doe Patronus that it represents Lily. Isn't that like three degrees of separation or like three times removed, like logic there? Yeah, I mean, am, am I missing something? I think that's the reason. Okay. So we've just learned that Harry has to die. Has to Voldemort die. must do it. And look at this, where where I think Harry just, or Dan just sits down. He's just like, I know if I don't sit down right now, I'm going to fall over. And he just digests. He's still wearing his three layers. Now would be the good time to take like a jacket off. Yeah, he's probably sweating. Yeah. Um... Yeah, no, he's gonna he's gonna die in die in this outfit. Acting. (laughs) Now they now he really wishes they had chosen a a better outfit for him to die in. Yeah. Let me go change real quick before I go die. He could, right? He could just he's the whole Hogwarts is 
his for the uh, taking. This was a really special moment for the trio. Hermione and Harry both know what has to be what has to happen now. Yeah, you get choked a little, up behind. a little bit here. Did I? No, I didn't cry once. I did get chills a couple of times. Eric, at this point, had like flooded the theater. <laughs> oh come on! I was, I was, I was. Uh, what's it called when you're floating in the water? Um, drifting. No, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <it's> not... <laughs> but uh, you know, it is very. Um, it's good acting between Dan and Emma, and and you know, Rupert kind of. You know, Ron and Harry don't share any lines, unlike in the book. Um, but I think it works. Because I think Ron also gets what's going on. You can do like a bro hug or something. Do they? No, I'm saying they could. But I, I think oh, they you, could? you could see they understand. Yeah, I, I think that uh, they just, I don't know. Ron has to be there for his Hermione. It's all empty. I guess this corridor replaced the moving staircases. Is that because there's portraits and everything? Yeah, we really don't see any moving uh, staircases, do we, in this film? That would have been cool, though, having, like, some of the moving staircases, like, mid-move, be toppled and, like, destroyed Yeah, that would be cool. Although, even the moving staircases could be a ride at the Wizarding World Park. (laughs) <laughs> if you think about it, I mean... That would be a fun house. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I never liked this in the book. I open at the close. It's like, again, it's just like somebody left Harry out of the, uh... Or somebody left the readers out of the decision-making process. Like, I guess it makes sense that you can only open this niche when you're, like, prepared to die or whatever it is that Harry says. But just why would you ever enchant a snitch to only open when somebody's ready to die? Like, it just doesn't make much sense to me. Yeah, what if he died before? Yeah, right? Then the never snitch would never open. Resurrection stone. Yeah, and, and this is kind of where... The, the Deathly Hallows were put aside for the Horcruxes because you don't really get a full understanding, I don't think, of the fact that Harry possessed all three of these things because the invisibility cloak is kind of just glossed over. Yeah. Um, but I, I would argue even in the book it's not spent too much time, you know, on... It, it, almost, it almost means nothing that he did at one point have all three of the hallows it means nothing because he chooses not to techno okay why does his hand go through his mom's hand i they're not ghosts they're actual like i don't but know but it's the show that they're not actually there i think for the viewers yeah that's the most important part they're there but they're not they can't like walk in and help help harry fight voldemort you know it's funny because um the uh, Adrian Rollins, who plays James Potter, has one line where he's like, go get him, son. And I just always envision Dan looking back and be like, sorry, who are you? Sorry, who? Because who? Uh, by this point, 
I I just feel like people would be so confused thinking that Snape and Lily, you know, were the thing that Snape could be Harry's father. That uh you know and and they have him in the background. You know, James Potter's just you're nearly there, son. Like that's you know, his only line and they have everybody else is like more prominent than than him. It just what is James Potter to the Harry Potter films, really? Because they cut the backstory with the Marauders. You know, it was just isn't isn't father enough of a uh I guess the father of Harry Potter. I guess so. I I think it's that in the books they just Lily and James Potter, they have such a this this they're famous, they're you know, before their son was and it's just omitted from the film because of you know, time and depth, but You're right, he is Harry's dad, so <laughs> Enough said. How many times can uh, Gary Oldman be, like, tear-inducing? Right? I cried. I cried when he died. I cried when he said, we're in here. Your heart. You did? Oh, yeah. This happened to you? Yeah. This happened to me. Always. She shares a line with Snape. This is the thing, though, uh, the, the paradox of the films, which is that the Resurrection Stone is just lying in the forest. The Elder Wand, by the end of it all, is floating in the lake. Uh, you know, the Deathly Hallows are totally... It's sequel potential, is what it is. Because they're just... <laughs> they're there, you know, at Hogwarts. Well, Somebody like a, just needs to... One of the Mer people finds the Elder Wand and repairs it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Starts a whole new book series. This is an interesting moment because Voldemort thinks he, you know, that Harry isn't going to show up. So there's the extra line. Oh, I thought he would come. Huh. Okay. What next? Then of course he uh, shows up. He's got such nice ears. I love how Bellatrix is like kind of in the picture, and then she looks back and then moves out of the frame. <laughs> yeah. Harry Potter, the boy who lived come to die. This is like, this is where all the trailers for this movie start. Poor Hagrid. Yeah. Yeah, the trailers, I, I loved how the trailers started here, actually. No sign of him, my lord. He's so haunted. Rafe does that thing with his eyes that he's done ever since Goblet of Fire, where it's like they're so maybe it's makeup where they're just in their sockets, but it gives the impression that he can like see the 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 fear or like the pain that he's about to inflict. And but Harry doesn't even raise his wand here. Takes so long just to cast the spell. Yeah. Oh, Vanna Cadaver. And I like this scene. This is probably my favorite scene in the film, aside from the the breakout at Gringotts. Yeah, it's it's quite beautiful. It's good to see Michael Gambon playing such a such a book Dumbledore. Yeah, uh, exactly. Which I think is the highlight for me. But they do change that line, which I have real trouble understanding at the end. I love that. I mean, we didn't get we talked about that on the two forty two. 
Yeah. I thought that was really special. This uh, Voldy fetus. Fetal Voldemort. Just fry it up with some eggs. You're all set. Oh my god. <laughs> what would you even call that? Quiche? Quiche Voldy? Voldy pot pie. Uh, oh. <laughs> they said in the uh, the scene, it's uh, one of the things, it's just a puppet, actually. Um, but they said it stank because it's like some kind of uh, rubber that they had to pour this fake blood over. It's just more disgusting yeah, stories. Have about to been responsible for uh, for creating that in the prop department. I'm kidding, they they thrive on that kind of stuff. It's like everybody wants to be a horror movie uh, prop maker. It looks very real. We actually got to see the the the, the Voldemort on set. Oh, did you? Yeah, they. You know that wasn't special effects. I mean, maybe the movement was, but right. No, I think they said it was a a puppet, like under somebody was controlling it under the uh, under the platform. It looked less the DVD Blu-ray version looked less white to me, as I remember in the theaters. Maybe because in the theaters it's just so big, your eyes are just washed out. But yeah, it almost looks different. blue. Yeah, yeah, it does. It matches more with what they're wearing. I was going to just say that, too. Why are they wearing blue, like... Is, Harry's naked in the scene in the book, right? Well, no, he finds clothes. He he he, start, he starts naked. But he starts naked. Yeah. See, I, I don't see... I This whole film was ruined for me. I was expecting that. Well, it's yeah, kind I'm of sorry. a... It's a rebirth type of thing, <laughs> right? Sort of a, a Christ resurrection mm-hmm. reference. Blue is water. Water is life. That sort of thing. Michael Gammon's... Eyelids are blue, or eyelashes, eyebrows. What am I trying to say? They're very blue. He sounds very much like Aberforth in this line. Where, he's, where would it take me? And he says, on. That sounds so much like Kieran Hines doing Aberforth Dumbledore to me. I don't know why. It so, says so little, but so much. Yeah. Dumbledore just is long walking away. See, and and what Dumbledore's saying here is Harry needs help, and Dumbledore's saying, We will give you help. Uh, but we don't just give anyone help at Hogwarts. We give people help who deserve it. But at Crab's Hogwarts, not going to get help. But Hogwarts uh, should give help to everybody. No, it shouldn't. It well, shouldn't help Voldemort. It's a certain. It's a certain. Uh, you're you're defeating your own character. You 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 have to give in to ask for help in the first place. If somebody has that moment of humbling of that modesty to ask for help, they should be given help, even if they're crab, even if they're a Slytherin. Um, which is why I think, you know, help will be given to all who ask for it is completely sufficient the way it is and that it shouldn't need to be changed. Uh, we asked for, on the last episode of Mugglecast, we asked people, 
or on episode 242, we said, send in, what do you think Dumbledore's line means? And uh, Lindsay25 from San Antonio said, Neville Longbottom always comes to mind when I hear this line. Dumbledore makes the original statement in Harry's second year, and Harry recalls those words when he is in Chamber of Secrets facing Tom Riddle. After asking for help, Fox appears with the sorting hat, which Harry subsequently pulls from the sword of Gryffindor and kills the Basilisk. Shortly after the King's Cross scene, in which Dumbledore amends his statement, Neville, without asking for help, but clearly deserving of help, happens to find the sorting hat, pulls the sword of Gryffindor from it, and uses it to kill Nagini. It's a very close parallel. Oh, so it's that he Thanks, Lindsay. he's like almost too proud to ask for it, but yet he still deserves yeah. it? Um, well, no, just that Neville deserved the help. I like the, this scene also just because of sort of the iconic lines that uh, Dumbledore has. Yeah, exactly. Words are our most inexhaustible form of, of magic. Of course it's happening inside your head. But why on earth should that mean that it's not real? Yeah, it was good to read that in the book. It's and one of and the what you quoted. were saying, actually, Eric, before, I think, where a lot of people got confused between uh, Lillian Snape versus Lillian James was just in that dialogue between Harry and Dumbledore um, when he's talking about Snape's Patronus taking the form of a doe. That's how, cleared up in and the how film? it was curious. No, no, no. I think that's where people got even more confused because oh. when Harry says, "Isn't it curious that Snape's Patronus takes the same form as my mother's?" and Dumbledore says, "It's not curious at all," <laughs> because we did get emails saying, "Well, does that mean that Snape is Harry's father?" It's not curious at all. Duh, Harry. Duh. Uh, duh. And this. I know Helen McCrory said a number of times is her favorite line from the dead films. Why is she a brunette? Why didn't they make her go all blonde? Sorry, I just I would be remiss if I didn't ask that question. She's black hair. I know she has black hair, but why make it? Why why make only some of it blonde? Yeah, I don't like it. It's like an Oreo. <laughs> I love Oreos. <laughs> then what's your problem? <laughs> My problem is, I just thought she was full blonde. Just kidding. Either, either See, look, Neville there. deserves it. He found the hat somehow. It got out there. Well, and in the books too, it's Harry's not the one that usually ends up killing the Horcrux. I mean, he did with the diary, but Dumbledore destroyed the ring, right? Ron mm-hmm. destroys the locket. I think it's Hermione that destroys the cup. I can't remember who destroys the diadem, and then it's Neville who. Yeah. So you're saying it, it's. In the books, too, there is such emphasis placed on it has to be Harry. This is Harry's journey. I think the emphasis is primarily placed on him by Dumbledore. Um, but, you know, you see that so many different people get their crack at killing a Horcrux um, in the that, end. That shot we just saw of Harry, um, or of uh, Hagrid carrying Harry, uh, used on a lot of billboards in LA. Then <laughs> that, again, that Oscar push. And really? I think they're using that because it's like, hey, look, guys, we're killing our main character. How cool is that? Yeah, we went there. We went there. We did it. Yeah, we went there. Also, that shot that you bring it up, uh, the one thing that saved Hagrid as a character, um, from being killed. You know, I know whenever Mugglenet did a, whenever he used to do polls, you know, who will die in book five? Who will die in book six? Hagrid, Hagrid, Hagrid was the favorite to die. But uh, but J.K. Rowling says it was never in the cards because she always had this image of um, Hagrid carrying Harry's supposedly lifeless body uh, to to this courtyard, and that it was uh, it's tied in with Hagrid carrying baby Harry to Privet Drive. And, and this is of course the scene that everybody references when you interview them. How 
you know how much they enjoyed a specific scene. So this is the always one that the one that always uh, seems to come to mind. Yeah, they say that Ray finds just his portrayal, the way he acts. This is in Maximum Movie Mode too. They say you never know who he's going to look at, like who he's going to play off of, where he's where he's doing this thing, you know. Yeah, I mean, he was commanding the stage here. He, yeah, he he owned it. it. This is such a unique performance that I, I'm not sure anybody expected. It was just wonderful. And Bellatrix is just off on the left, acting like a fool. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. I love it. I think they captured it perfectly. Yeah. A few things I call perfect in this Harry Potter series, but this I find perfect. Here's Chris Rankin. Draco. Get the heck over here. What you doing? What you come on I'm, I'm putting my hand out. You know how often I put my hand out for you. <laughs> He's you know a mama's boy I'm... though. Yeah. Come to mommy. Draco. Draco, come to mommy. But don't forget to hug Uncle Voldemort. <laughs> way over. Oh, it's so uh, creepy. <laughs> you can tell he wants to laugh right there. Uh, Alfie, you know. Everybody else is like, yeah. You know, David Yates, uh, he answered this in one of the interviews down in Orlando. He said that audiences in different countries took it differently because hugs, you know, it, they're, they're different signals of gesture, a, a different type of gesture in, in various countries around the world. Of course, in America, everybody laughed. Um, but in different countries, you know, some people took it more seriously, which I found interesting. Why? Did he name a specific country that he hopes that we view this film in? No, to- no. No, but he said he said not every country was laughing. Which makes sense, because, you know, different cultures have different greetings and gestures. and That makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. Was that on E? That that he uh, uh maybe I'm not sure, yeah. but that's that's cool all the same. I like this. Uh, the reason I like this scene, and it is my favorite scene in the movie, is because that line. Well, Neville, I'm sure we'd be fascinated to hear what you have to say. He is so proud of having just killed Harry Potter that Voldemort allows this kind of defiance. Mm-hmm. You know, he's feeling nice. He's just hugged Draco. He's feeling nice. He wants to. You know, when it becomes apparent that, that Neville is not stepping across to, to join him, but to defy him, he could have just killed them. He could have just killed him. But he didn't. He lets, he, he, he hears him out. And, and the fact that Neville creates such a, a rousing, uh, speech from it is, is great. But I think Voldemort's pride being his undoing is, is the greatest, so greatest moment of this Andrew, film. not liking Neville necessarily, what do you think of this scene? This was okay. He's so creepy right here. Because you're wrong. Harry's hard to Neville needs to get that head. That that can't be safe. That's the thing here. Look at Voldemort's face. Look how Harry and Neville like kind of like choreographed that. Like they both they both sprung to life. (laughs) Yeah. Same moment. This is this is finally. I know when watching the film the first time, I had this this experience where I was like, when will that snake ever, ever leave Voldemort? But Voldemort is so distracted by Harry that he, he just, he just runs at him. Yeah. You know, I, I, in hindsight, I would have liked to see the final battle take place right here. Not this extra chase that we see in a few moments, but you know, first, maybe first Neville gets the snake and then, you know, they kind of all move into the great hall and then Harry and Voldemort finish it off there. Instead of this extra thing, especially with the cliff fall and uh, with the, with with uh, Voldemort tying him up in the robes, 
Um, this was totally just to get the film to two hours, I think. Yeah, and and just calling him Tom in front of everybody. Yeah, which was left out. Yeah, I don't know. Harry's a little sure of himself when he says that in the in the books. It's like a show off moment. Dumbledore called him Tom, so I can call him Tom. The other thing about why it doesn't work in the book in the Great Hall, I think, is because anybody at that point when Voldemort is mortal, anybody could have killed Voldemort, and anybody probably should have. Enough talking. Don't let Harry have his victory speech. Just somebody cast a damn killing curse at Voldemort, because if you do, it will actually kill him, and it will actually be the end of all this, you know, 20 years of terror. So I, I think it's important that they're alone. Yeah, and I think David Yates even brought that up when we spoke to him back in July. He was saying how you almost needed them to go off and fight because these two have been going at it, you know, for however many years now at this point, and it just provides closure. Uh, you know, and even from a movie standpoint, you need to have this one-on-one battle taking place, and why not do it throughout Hogwarts? Well, it's just de- death. Also, I was just thinking, death is a very personal thing. It's odd to say, but when Voldemort dies, and and he has that look where he's scared of what's happening to him at the very, very end, it's very intimate that it's only Harry who watches this, and it also provides better closure for Harry, having suffered so much, to be able to to be the one person to kind of witness this uh, this was a i didn't like this what neville waking up yeah i think all of us had a problem with this actually because neville's just been blasted into but there's somebody else in the background on fire <laughs> like what i think it's just the way that it's shot it's shot in like uh what because it's slow motion yeah and it's it's just kind of a because he looks a little groggier than he's hero's like, and I moment i would have liked to have seen a battle in the great hall because we really don't see much other than that shot in the background. Yeah, out in of focus. The, in the film, the Great Hall's reserved for the Med Ward, you know, the medical. And now, too. we've talked about this a lot, but, yep. you know, the, Voldemort would kill Harry right here. Yeah. Unless you, you could maybe argue that Voldemort wanted to make a show of it and do it in front of everybody. That could be a valid point. But otherwise, it just doesn't make sense. Anybody think it's weird they're trying to stab a snake with a snake fang? It's a bigger snake fang. It's not the same snake. Let's pause for Molly. (laughs) This is what happens when you put actors in a room together. You just get them to have all sorts of fun. Love that. Now, how about the crumbling and the smashing into pieces? And yeah, it's like two separate spells, right? One kills her, one d- destroys her. But the choice, and we've talked about this on MuggleCast, the choice to make Bellatrix explode and the choice to make Voldemort explode so that there's no corpse is in some ways less powerful. I don't think that's what they're going for, but there's nothing more powerful than seeing a dead Voldemort body, you know, lifeless, right? The idea that he evaporates as he does is less powerful because then it's like, oh, he could be coming back, right? He's Is he part of the environment now, just like he was before? And here's the fall. Yeah, and just before this, you know, sort of the fighting that went on, it, you know, to have the physical contact it was a little weird. Yep. I, well, that's, they, they can't get physical. That's why Joe's they lying cut. when she said she had no problems with this film. 
<laughs> she like well no that's why they cut the you know why do you live because i have something worth living for that was the moment where david yates said wait a minute okay now we've gone and done it we've made that's it creepy. a little a little too physically close where it was the moment where voldemort would have actually crushed harry's face if they had put it in the movie so that's why they cut it but that that was a creepy moment where they merged, but again, it sells the idea that they're yeah. so alike. And I think when we spoke to him, also he talked about how, you know, as they're flying throughout Hogwarts, they're sort of intertwined with each other, which is symbolic in the sense that they are for most of the series as well. Mm-hmm. Great moment, both looking at each other very firmly in the eye and then shooting the spell at the same time. They really cut it down uh, to the... There was another deleted scene right about there as well, with them running um, away from the guinea. Yeah, yeah, yeah really right. short, right? It was funny, though. She said, uh, Ron's like, I have to say something, and she's like, don't say anything you wouldn't say if we weren't being chased by a giant snake. And perfect timing, Neville swoops in and kills the guinea before she kills Ron and Hermione. Now, the thing is, now that Nagini's dead, Voldemort is mortal. Is there another spell that's fired here, or did Voldemort just lose this battle? Oh, there's another one. No. No, I think he's dying. Oh, but Harry sends one more. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I think it's also the fact that the allegiance of the Elder Wand lies with uh, Harry, and Voldemort's cast Nevada Kedavra, so it's about to rebound on him. Yeah. That's, That's the undoing. I love that look where he's like looking. The cool thing is that his wand flies from him. This, and... yeah, I, I gotta say, I I really would have liked to see one more spell out of Harry. But Harry's the final hit. Yeah, but Harry's not a defensive person. That's why he always uses Expelliarmus as an offensive. But if or, he's offensive, he, or, yeah, he's. I mean, he didn't he's... need the defense. And Voldemort's I mean, yeah. not human either, so it wouldn't have made sense for him to just fall over. Even though and he this, does have a body in this the book. Shredding into paper, I I wasn't thrilled with it that. It was an excuse to do three D. So I you would have rather had a well, body. Yeah, well yeah, I mean in the book it's a body, right? Yeah, yeah so, it's a body. It's totally yeah, I a body. Mean, what, what's like I guess maybe the question would have been like, Oh, what are we gonna do with the body? Are we gonna show it? Or well, what would dead Voldemort body look that's like? That's the thing, or? like it's it's Voldemort's last last practical joke on the world is what are we gonna do with his body? Yeah. You know, but Summer fling, Neville and Luna. Yeah, they don't touch each other. He isn't going to last. <laughs> but she's like banging her knees together. And he's like, yeah, I got the sword of Gryffindor. And I deserve it. Dumbledore said. Chris Rankin. Molly's Donnie. smiling. Katie even Lund. though her son just died. Well, you know. Little, and sunlight for the first time. Small victories. And yeah, it's. Pineapple <laughs> Fourth got in a little bit. All the professors there. Yeah, Sprout's actually drinking straight vodka. That is not coffee or tea. <laughs> this hug between Harry and Hagrid, I love because it's like a throwback to Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, I'm glad they aren't playing that damn music, or are they? But I wish Hagrid would have said something to Harry. Harry's got a cup too. There's nothing to say. Oh, hey, they're all getting. I drunk. didn't notice Harry? that before. Harry's got a cup. Look at that. Poor Filch got to clean the whole thing up himself. <laughs> <laughs> He's a squib. He gets to, he can't use magic. That's the thing. That's what really sucks about it. Ron and Hermione have just been having sex the last half hour. 
Oh, God. <laughs> She's glowing. This shot, Andrew, you remember this in the uh, test screening? With all the uh, the green screens? Yeah. It's like the, the ground they're standing on is the only thing that's real. And everything else is like corridors of green screen or like walls. Walls of green screen. Mm-hmm. A little more explanation. Wrap up the plot. The one never belonged to Snape. Love to be like a guy in a canoe ruining the shot right now. <laughs> Get out of the picture! <laughs> Attention! We are shooting a Harry Potter film. Kind of an important scene. Get out of the picture. You should see like mer people. Like, is that the Great Lake? Yeah, yeah. They should be rejoicing, having like a a party yeah. or like a buffet, or they should have their mm-hmm. cups. I know a lot of people also wrote in saying they were surprised Harry didn't repair his own wand. Which he does at the end of the book. Yeah, that that pissed people off. Because now, he really has, he has no, no wand. wand. Yeah. But I mean, talking about allegiances, anybody who found those two pieces of the wand should have its allegiance. Because they're gonna. The first thing you're gonna do is repair it. So. Totally. Yeah, I mean, when he breaks the wand, you see, like, some smoke sort yeah. of come out of it. Maybe mm-hmm. that was the way of saying, like, it's it's done for. Yeah. <laughs> they could have had a teaser at the end of this where you see, like, you see, like, Crab walk up and find the two pieces of the wand. <laughs> <laughs> or like in Jumanji. <laughs> to be continued. Like the end of Jumanji where the game washes up at the end, like, China. Washes up on the shore in China, there should just be, like... The tribal drums and somebody finds the elder one. And there we go, the final shot. That's just like, to me, this this scene in the movie represents the book to me, where it's like, it's the end of our story, you know? And they're looking like, on. They can't, If they take one step forward, it would be no longer canon, you know? Because <laughs> that's where the book ended. Mm-hmm. Um, and 19 years later. I was surprised because I thought we'd make it all the way to the epilogue without getting a behind-the-scenes-on-the-epilogue. Fortunately, in maximum movie mode, the epilogue behind-the-scenes is actually like three or four times as long as the epilogue itself. So they do This devote- building right here is where they had the um, junket for Deathly Hallows. No I- kidding. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of, kind of a funny little thing. Sorry, I cut you off. I just wanted to get that in while the, while the shot was up. Yeah, yeah, cool. No problem. Does he have a badger? Sirius or James? I missed it. I'm not sure. It doesn't look like an owl. It definitely does not look like an owl. Or a cat. Or a toad. It's it's pretty much like... Pretty sure it's a badger. It's a ferret. A ferret. <laughs> looks like a ferret. He might have an owl. I think this epilogue, the, the appearance, the older appearances, ended up turning good. It was subtle. The yeah, voice they, um, deepening was subtle. They but. really, really did overdo it uh, the first time, and I think 
that's sort of come out since, you know, these special features and things are on the disc, but they really overdid it uh, mm-hmm. the first time when they shot it, actually, at King's Cross. Um, now, the first time, was there uh, Teddy Lupin in there? According to the kids, but we no that that part. And I remember your your interview with the children um, that said that. But no, in the uh, we haven't. Uh, there's still not a shot that's supposed to be Teddy Lupin, um, very obviously in any of these special features. But I'll look for, I'll look for that on the uh, definitive uh, collection. Yeah, the interview that we did with uh, Will Dunn and Arthur Bowen. Yeah, they said that uh, in the initial epilogue there was a. A moment between Harry and Teddy Lupin, actually. Gotta tie my shoe, because it's past 2015 and they don't have power laces. I think one of the things that uh, both Arthur, who we see right here, and uh, Will said was that somebody had to stand in to tie the shoe, because Dan didn't know how to tie a shoe. Really? Yeah. Dan didn't know? Oh, I think it... Well, not to, to tie a shoe, but just to tie a shoe backwards, was it? Or... Because tying somebody else's shoe is a little yes, bit different. Yes, that's than what it was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not really different. You could just tie a shoe like you're tying your own, but it's kind of a funny... The sorting hat takes your thing into account. It's like a cheat code. It's like you're giving your kids... God, he spoils his children. Seriously. Yeah, I don't know if that was good. I mean, I guess it's comforting to him, but... I like the line, though. It's like the bravest man I ever knew. You know, obviously it's in the book, but... It just shows that it doesn't matter what house you're in. Yeah. Harry should have been like, don't worry, it's just like Baltimore. You're not really sorted into your house. <laughs> it's just it's just so there's a fair fight for the house cup. Look at that chocolate frog animation. That must have been so cool to do I like, that again. I like how uh, Alba Severus and, and James Sears are already hitting on the older women. <laughs> <laughs> Because those have to be at least sixth or seventh years uh, in the car with them. Mm-hmm. That's, uh... Oh, Micah. Looks like Jeremy Piven in the background. Oh, no. See, this music I was okay with being ex- the direct track from the end of the first film. And that but- shot right there, too, was very focused on Harry and Hermione as opposed to, uh, Ron was kind of in the background. Yeah, yeah. As usual. Always <laughs> the third wheel. Well, that wraps up our Harry Potter and the Deathly Atlas Part 2 commentary. Hopefully everybody enjoyed it. That was fun. Now listen to us read the credits. <laughs> yeah. I already closed out the movie, so... Uh, uh, sorry. Wow, Mikey couldn't wait to finish. <laughs> it's okay. Jeez. Um, yeah, that was a lot of fun, and we hope everybody enjoys it, enjoyed the uh, the extra flavor of information, since there was no commentary on the DVD whatsoever. Yeah, unless you want to take into account maximum, maximum. movie mode. Yeah. Which, the things they do, though, they edit the uh, the timing of the film, so they stop it, they rewind it, they pause it, they go back, they go forward, all sorts of stuff. And uh, just a reminder... All the information you need about the show can be found on MuggleCast.com. If you have any feedback about what we discussed during the commentary, just click on Contact at the top, and you can fill out the form. Get in touch with us that way, and uh, we'll we'll do some commentary feedback on episode 245, I guess. Thanks, everyone, for listening. From Hypable.com, I'm Andrew Sims. From MuggleNet.com, I'm Eric Skull. From MuggleNet.com, I'm Micah Tannenbaum. We'll see you next time for our Sorcerer's Stone commentary. (laughs) We're starting all from the beginning. Yes. No. Not yet, anyway. 
Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. And we'll maybe, see you next maybe time. Maybe for the 15-year anniversary. Because the 10-year right. anniversary was yesterday, so we really got to get on that. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Cool. See you next time for episode 245. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.